that said, um, sorry, I did. Sorry about this, Joe. Um, Joe Joe's our producer, Joe's by the way. Producer. Zoe. It's, it's not Matt talking to himself. He's yeah. an imaginary friend. <laughs> well, it could be. Um, There's a cold opening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Cryer Malt, a local malt for local beer. This is Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete, Professor Pilsner Mitchum. And joining me in the chairs today are the founding editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard, and making her debut, not just on Australian uh, Radio Brews News podcast, but on podcast full stop, end of story. It is the lovely Zoe Ottaway. Zoe is a marketing specialist. Um, many will know her around the trap. She's been a goat. She's been a creature. She's been an innocent bystander. Uh, she's about to join uh, Totem Marketing, which is a boutique agency helping Australia's small producers with all their marketing needs. Zoe Ottaway, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. And we should point out absolute and 100% total um, coincidence that it happens to be the week in which International Women's Day falls. We're not doing a token sort of thing. Uh, we saw some comments uh, that you had made regarding one of our key stories for today and thought, ah, perfect opportunity to get Zoe on. Oh, by the way, she happens to identify as female. <laughs> so that's just a head off. Are, are you making assumptions? And I'm sorry prof? if I just assumed your gender. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, how are you? He's but I'm good. I'm good. Quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, it's been a, uh, a busy week, but a good week. That's the way. And uh, it's been a busy week in the, in the world of news and in this episode of Radio Brews News, we will look at the following topics in no particular order, although possibly in the order that I read them out. Uh, Brewdog's pink beer for girls is criticised as a marketing stunt. Uh, are stone beers rolling or are they gathering moss? Uh, we look at the malt brewing rebrand and we look at Sierra Nevada, who has experienced the second year of uh, 8% volume decline. Um, I think since, uh, you know, the chivalry is not dead, um, that uh, it would be polite of us to allow our guest to perhaps take the the first story, uh, which is um, Brewdog's Punk IPA, which was released as Pink IPA. Uh, Matt, was um, his interest was piqued by a comment that you had posted, marketing is about listening and delivering on what your customers are saying they want, and today, more than ever, women are making their voices heard. In the past week, we've seen Diageo release a limited-release Johnny Walker with the iconic Walking Man replaced by Jane, and controversial UK brewery Brewdog released their iconic Punk IPA with a limited-release Pink IPA. Same beer, but with a pink label. Both were generally panned by women who were then met with the usual cries, you know, it's sarcasm, it's ironic, you don't understand satire, etc., etc. Uh, discuss. Yeah, it was really interesting to see this, and I think there's... You've always, I guess, with anything that brew dogs does, there's always the brew dog element to it as well. Um, and I found it really interesting that despite the number of um, marketing cases that have happened of late where, um, you know, we've had pink pens, we've had pink shavers, we've had Doritos for women, that in the beer world we're still handling these kinds of issues. Um I appreciate that these businesses um, are trying to support a cause that is very close to 50% of the population. It's just when they cross the line between being supportive and being patronising, and I think this is where BrewDog let themselves down. Um, you know, it's fantastic that they're trying to raise, raise awareness about um, gender pay inequality and that they're donating 20% of the sales of that beer, but it doesn't justify the method in which they've done it. Um, and so I just wanted to make the point that, you know, it wasn't women that were misunderstanding marketing it's just that the marketers of these brands aren't listening to the women. And women, we don't want pink beers. We don't want fluffy stuff. It doesn't need to have glitter on it. You know, a beer for women is just beer. And to coincide these things every time of the year around International Women's Day just um, just further highlights just what a tokenistic um, sales drive it really is. Um, and if, if I can use the Diageo example, um, you know, rather than changing the walking man on your Johnny Walker to a woman and calling it Jane. 
you know, I would much rather love someone like Diageo to say, this is what we've done in the last five years. We Here's how we've changed gender equality in our system. This is how we've recognised it and these are the steps we've taken and these are the successes we've had, rather than just changing a label on one of their products for a few weeks and donating some money. Um, I think there's businesses like BrewDog and Diageo have so much power um, and it's just about directing that in the right way and listening to what women actually want. And as, as a marketer, that really resonated with me. Do you reckon the, the cynic might say that uh, BrewDog sort of uh, baited the trap uh, and thought, you know what, we can get a lot more mileage out of this if we go the controversial route? Um, you know, so let's let's throw it out there and just wait for the inevitable um, backlash, which will get us far more shares and likes and um, distribution of our, uh, I guess the you know our marketing message than uh, than just quietly donating, uh, you know, to a a cause. Oh, absolutely. With with a brewery like Brewdog, you can't ever underestimate that that could have been a consideration. But then. It just goes back to my original point is that they haven't really supported the cause then at all. They, they, you know, no one's talking about um, gender pay um, inequality. They're talking about the pink stunt that brutal. So they actually haven't supported the cause that they said they're behind in the first place. They're actually driving the conversation away from that. Um, you know, everything I'm reading about is really that, you know, here's another mar- marketing misstep rather than the cause that they said they were there to be supporting. Um, and, you know, I guess as a marketer as well, I read the press release that came with their announcement and I saw their social media um, posts that, you know, had hashtag sarcasm and everything on it. You know, as a marketer, if you have to do those things for people to understand the purpose of your product or campaign, you, again, you've missed the point. Um, you know, most people will just pick that up or see it on a shelf. You know, they, most people aren't exposed to the two-page press release that comes out explaining your sarcastic um, meaning behind the pink IPA. If you need to go through that much effort for people to understand why you're doing it, you, you're not doing it right. I take Zoe's point, particularly the last one about if you need to explain it, because I, I think it was a bit of a misstep. And I think uh, BrewDog often makes a problem for themselves because I think that anything that is done commercially to coincide with an important day like International Women's Day is always going to be greeted with some degree of cynicism that it's driven by a corporate angle as opposed to a social angle. But when I saw the the, the campaign, I actually thought that it was quite clever. Um, of course, I'm a beer insider, so I, I could see what they were trying to say. But we see so many times that big breweries, their answer to getting women drinking beer is to make be less flavoursome and put it in a pink bottle or design the six-pack holder like a handbag or all of the other dreadful things or even the um, Johnny Walker one, you know, the, the Jane Walker, which to, to me just sort of said nothing about anything other than we're just going to put a chick on the label and that's going to solve all of the problems. I actually felt the point BrewDog was making was um, quite valid that we've put exactly the same beer in a bottle um, because there is nothing about the beer itself that should alienate women. And then they were just having a bit of a piss take at, you know, but we'll put it in a pink bottle to make it attractive to women, which, you know, you had to understand the history of bad beer marketing to get it. So I, I think it was a little bit um, of a misstep in, in that sense. But I actually liked the point that they were trying to make, that all beer is for all people. I think you've, you've done it. Yeah, you're exactly on the right path. Like they've taken one of their most iconic beers um, and changed one of the names that they've obviously gone to great lengths to protect and punk. And there is, a, I guess, a very obvious synergy to then mock it by making it pink. Um, and I think it is great that they have kept exactly the same beer and used that as part of their marketing point too, is that it's the same beer and you know, women just drink beer. I think it was just the delivery, the pink label, like even calling it like not pink or, you know, there could have been just something that next step that just made it quite clear it wasn't patronising. And I think I do think it's just a shame because they obviously have had the best of intentions. They have put their money where their mouth is with, I think it was a 20% um, donation of the sales, which is significant. Um, but then the conversation has just, to me, been steered in the wrong direction because it's come more about that than the cause they were actually trying to highlight, which is a very important cause. I think, you know, yesterday I was hearing that it was the, pay, the gender pay difference is 15.3%. Um, so this, you know, this is a significant issue that 
could have had a great opportunity to have someone like BrewDog and their social media and marketing reach really highlight and unfortunately it's just been a bit overshadowed by the delivery of the, the campaign that they were trying to achieve. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's where I, I, I fully agree. But I, and I actually feel quite sorry for BrewDog because if there's one thing that you can't criticise BrewDog for, it's the strides that they have made as a company in gender equity. And I've seen a whole lot of stuff on social media where um, people have actually said, you know, looked at the two founders and basically attack them because they're, they're men and so saying, you know, why don't you actually do something real for women? And if you look at what that company does uh, you know, as, as a business supporting women and promoting women and putting women in senior roles, um, that was really, really unfair criticism. And, you know, again, it, it just shows how hard it is when you play in these highly politicised social um, debates that your intention can be misconstrued and sometimes people just have a, a point of view that they're not going to let facts get in the way of. And it's quite troubling to me to see this week, um, in a week that should have been all about International Women's Day, um, you know, there were people who were organising International Women's Day breakfast, women who were organising International Women's Day breakfast being held down because they were organising it in the city, being told that that's not inclusive, you shouldn't be assuming that all women are working in the city. And I thought, well... You can't, you can't win. The, the, you, no, you, you, you can't win. And sometimes the, the importance of these issues gets sidetracked by some of the... I won't say silly politics, because I won't say that was silly politics, but sometimes people think that there is only one right way to do things and, 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 and that there often isn't. And I think that's another great example is that, you know, you can't... <laughs> the, the, the gender war isn't really there. We're all fighting the same war together, for, and war is a drastic word, but things like gender pay equality, that is both a male and female issue. And we need men um, like the founders of BrewDog to be raising highlight and showing that it's important to them as well as it's not just the women uh, employers and bosses that need to be making a big deal out of it. So BrewDog should be getting like, you know, massive amount of recognition for doing the right thing and wanting to make a difference. And just because, you know, what you've got between your legs doesn't mean that you're either on the right side or not. Um, Yeah, you're right. That's completely unfair. Um, and yeah, that's just where, again, I think, as you both have said, it's disappointing for BrewDog, who, you know, do have a history of some really outlandish marketing campaign and can have put consumers offside because of that alone. Then they've done one which I think the majority of people would be really on board with. And then the, the conversation just isn't going down the path that it should have been. Well, I've just got the opportunity to, like, I, this has, it comes up every International Women's Day. But I do want to give a shout out to the men and the women that I do work with in beer. Um, I've, I've found beer to be incredibly inclusive. Um, it's a fantastic industry to work in. Um, obviously, there's a lot more men working in it than females, but we, we see that changing. Um, and I think most importantly, it's not the numbers that are working, but the respect both ways is absolutely equal. Um, so when we talk about craft beer and men and women being a part of it, um, the industry itself I think is fantastic and definitely here in Australia leads the way. Um, it's certainly an industry that I've never felt my gender has been um, an issue. Talking to other women, I, I think we're, it's pretty consistent. Um, outside beer, it can be different. I think there's definitely some perceptions out there from the general public and um, people particularly, I guess, more set in the old beer world of um, that very masculine Aussie bloke swilling your pints at the pub, um, that old old mentality. But we are seeing that change too, and craft obviously has a huge role to play with that. So just around International Women's Day and gender, I think it's just important to note that there is good work being done. Nicely done. Uh, but let's, for now, Matt, this week has been all about Matt Kierkegaard versus Greg Cook. No, um, hardly. <laughs> well, there's been a fair bit of it. My Facebook feed has been fairly uh, fizzing at the bung with um, with Matt talking to to Greg Cook, and then lots of people weighing in about Matt talking to Greg Cook. I might just throw this over to you, Matt. Uh, are stone beers rolling, or are they gathering moss? Um, well, yeah. Look, this came about because, as we discussed last week, um, I'd noticed that Greg Cook um, and, and Stone, you know, as I said in an article this week, they literally trademarked arrogant when it comes to beer. Um, they are, you know, very uh, forceful in 
progressing their agenda and their brand promise um, and how they don't compromise uh, you know, on quality or anything like that. And, and I think that's fantastic. And uh, going back to that interview I did with Greg in 2010, that really shaped my view. Because I thought, you know, good on him. He's a bloke who is committed to the beer. That's what makes his beer so good. And he won't compromise. And, you know, of late, I did a survey of all of the inner city major retailers um, to see how Longstone was sitting there. And the average was six months and it was, you know, getting out to 12 months. And, you know, I'd, I'd uh, engage with Johnny and, and I have to say that, you know, th- this isn't a shot at Johnny because they really are trying to do the best thing. But that's where the, con- the uh, conversation this week was going back, you know, the facts that the beer is sitting on the shelf for so long um, and in not good condition, as, as I also found when I spent quite a bit of money uh, sampling, um, shows that the things that Greg identified you know, seven years ago are still problems, um, but yet they seem much more willing to commit their beer to what is Australia's longest retail distribution chain. Um, so as a result of that, I had a chat with Greg, and you know, it, it's fair to say that he's a little bit less arrogant, a little bit more pragmatic than he was seven years ago. Um, and I actually, I have a feeling that this ties back to um, a story that we're going to talk a little bit later about Sierra Nevada, that, you know, foreign markets are much more important. And uh, if you are going to water down your message, maybe you need to water down your marketing as well. And, uh, you know, uh, compliant bastard instead of arrogant bastard. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the, the whole thing comes down to, and we're, you know, we're, it's our mantra here, it's our tagline, I guess, after beer is a conversation, is that, you know, you drink fresh, drink local. Beer is best drunk fresh. And uh, the reality is if I'm in San Diego, I, I would lo- I love drinking stone beers and, and a lot of the other, you know, Carl Strauss um, and a lot of the other local beers. But when I'm over here, if I really want a West Coast IPA, I'm going to go to Fixation or I'm going to go to uh, Bolter or I'm going to go to, you know, any number of, um, of really good locally produced uh, IPAs. Exactly, Prof. And, and that's, I guess, where we take up the cudgels for Hendo from last week. Um, yes, ideally drink fresh, drink local, but unless the local guys are putting the bottling date the way that Stone very admirably does, how do we know that the beer is fresh? Um, and one of the points that I, I went back to in the 2010 Greg uh, Cook interview was when he talked about, um, you know, in, in the 1990s when we saw the first run of craft breweries, it was, uh, to use his words, brewers and retailers just throwing shit at the wall and consumers became disengaged. And when they were spending a lot of money for a product that they were finding wasn't as good, they were moving away from craft beer. And that's one of the problems that we are increasingly going to um, face. And you know, there's all of this talk about independence mattering. There's all of this talk about um, you know, choose where you buy. But you don't buy craft beer knowing that it's shit beer because it's craft beer. You buy craft beer because it is a good quality product. And if consumers have enough bad experiences, then they are going to move away. Because the one thing you can never criticise the big brewers for is putting shitty substandard beer. You can talk about they pasteurise, you can talk about um, some of the marketing compromises that they make, you can talk about uh, you know they, they maybe don't go the most aggressively flavoured beers and they go for things that aim for the wider part of the market, but they don't make bad beer in the sense that when you buy the beer, um, it's going to be a, a bad consumer experience. And there are too many craft brewers that are doing it. And, that, and that's why this is such a touchstone issue for me to, to see uh, Greg's um, change of heart. And I think too it highlights that perhaps our next challenge is, um, and you touched on it there, Matt, it's our relationship with our retailer. So if you can go, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have someone who is passionate about the product and is able to look after the beer as well as they possibly can, you know, not leaving it out on the on the back step and, you know, I'll come back to that after lunch or, you know, leaving pellets out in the sun and whatever it might be. It's about, you know, we're going to, I'm going to stock a smaller range or, you know, fewer uh, quantities, of, you know, a smaller quantity of, of, of a smaller range of beers, but, um, you know, all the stuff that's, you know, in season and, you know, fresh in the same way that a greengrocer would. And we then encourage our punters to, 
uh, rather than chasing the you know the, the the shiny thing that everyone on rate beer thinks is the best thing since canned ham. Rather, we we go to a place and say, you know, what do you got that's good at the moment? I'm really after. I need a couple of session beers. Uh, I really, I'd like an IPA and I'd like a you know an English special, uh, extra special bitter or something. But, but Prof, we we're informed consumers. I, I guess we always need to separate ourselves from the broader part of the market, and that's why Stone in small um, independent uh, bottle shops where informed punters are going along. I am absolutely sure that that beer is moving fresh because people who know, are, you know, they follow their local bottle shop on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. They see when the fresh stock is, here, is there, they get in and they buy it fresh. The problem with um, Stone being in the major retailers is that the people who are shopping there are the less informed consumers who don't know all of those things that you said. And they're the ones who are just getting into craft beer and they're the ones who are going to be most adversely affected by hearing all of this rave about stone, not knowing that you know a beer that is has still six months on its on, on the code date isn't going to be at its best. They take it home, they go, Jesus, 30 bucks for this. And going back to to something that they haven't had as bad an experience yeah, with. But 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 Matt, it may also be like the guy who um, has always drunk imported. Uh, Stellar Artois, I'll use as an example, and and that, you know, tired, oxidised um, shadow of its former self is what they think it's supposed to taste like. So when they actually get a fresh one, they don't like it. That's not what they like. So, you know, it's that we've spoken often about, you know, fault versus feature. Um, does the market just kind of work itself out? Is, is, the, is the key to this that Stone needs to find new markets? Well, th- that was in, in what I came up with uh, in, in the interview. If, if, if Stone is going to have those values and those values can't be met sending it into foreign markets, then you know, I, I wonder whether craft breweries are inherently, if you're going to adhere to this um, you know, value set that you um, start with, then do you either have to compromise those values or do you have to limit your distribution footprint and accept that craft breweries are never going to be as big as the big breweries you know if, if you if craft beer is about unpasteurized um, volatile but expressive flavors maybe you can't send your beer all the way around the world without compromising it and if you do where do those compromises end i think it's a great point matt because the customer that does go into those big chain has every right to just expect the best off the shelf. Like it's not up to the customer to be picking up bottles and looking at use by dates. There should be a trust between them and whatever store they're going into. And I think that trust is very easily built and sustained when you do have a relationship as a consumer with a craft beer shop. They are entitled to have that same trust with the bigger chains. And if the breweries can't deliver their product at that end you i think you have to as as you were saying you've got to identify what your morals like what you're going to stand by Um, and i think if you're going to say you know we don't compromise in freshness and we have a commitment to freshness freshness you think that's a pretty big thing to compromise for sales on the other side of the planet yeah. Hey, Zoe, um, you brought up, uh, you noticed uh, on a Facebook feed, there was a, somebody had posted a, a picture from Four Pines with their coaster. Yeah. Uh, and there was a fair bit of feedback on that. So uh, just, just talk our listeners through, uh, I guess, what the what the coaster said and then the uh, response to it. Yeah. So I saw it on Facebook yesterday on one of the um, beer forums. Uh, someone had just posted up a picture of the Four Four Pines Coaster, the back of it, and it had um, their um, story about fresh is best. Um, And it's quite a detailed um, paragraph. um, And it really set off a debate on both sides of of the argument there with quite a few people coming out saying, especially with someone like Four Pines, this is very misleading. This isn't great for um, beer consumers. It's really, if we're trying to educate new consumers, this is really pushing them down the wrong path and not making them aware that, some beers aren't, you know, can can have some age on it. Um, and then other people were coming back um, saying, well, if we look at you know, 95% of beer sales, that statement is applicable. Um, and the people that are probably going into Four Pines or drinking that, you know, they are probably entry-level um, consumers that are maybe getting into craft beer and they should be aware that when they're drinking 
starting off from pale ales and moving into IPAs, that they should be aware that fresh is best. And it's probably something if they extend into barley wines or um, other other um, varietals that can handle their age, it's something that they might learn as they go. Um, and it was really like it it was a post that got a lot of traction on it. And I, I just found that really interesting. Um, you know, it is certainly something when I started beer, I got told fresh is best. And then when I started um, stu- uh, volunteer stewarding at the Australian International Beer Awards, some of the judges were writing feedback of, oh, this beer is too fresh. And that was a real iron. <laughs> I thought that was the mantra. I thought this is in beer, fresh is best. You treat it like milk. Like, um, and even for me personally, this was this huge education change. But again, I was in the world and actively learning about beer and, you know, that was a bit of information I could easily adapt to. So I did find it quite interesting because there would be people that think like might just drink pale ale for the next five years. And then all of a sudden as they start developing them, that's a kind of a hard habit for them to start changing from. But, yeah, yeah it, got, it got a lot of traction on that Facebook post. Yeah, and we, I think we need to keep in mind that, you know, 98.99% of uh, the beer that is made and brewed to be drunk is not barley wines or barrel-aged stuff, which still is fine to drink now. It mm. may improve. It may actually – or, you know, and, again, it's very subjective and, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But so some beers are, are going to get better. Some are going to mellow a little bit. It's all, again, it's it's just personal preference. So I think we get a, a bit caught up and it's easy, I guess, to, you know, to listen to the – uh, the 1% of, um, you know, keyboard flogs who just can't possibly say anything nice about anything. It's just it's it's just all about them, you know, uh, having pop, popping their head up over the parapet and throwing their two cents worth in um, in order to remain relevant, um, who don't get the idea that, yeah, actually, you know, 98% of the beer is supposed to be drunk fresh. So let's let's not criticise that message because at the end of the day, that's that's a better message for people coming over to beer from wherever they're coming from, rather than saying, "But there's um you know uh, subclause B um, paragraph two. If it's a barley wine, you know, don't drink it now, or you know you're an idiot." It, it, I think we just need to you know keep things a little bit real. Oh, exactly, and that's what the statement a lot of people are coming back with was like, "What well, should Four Pines have done on this?" Um, like had exactly that. Here's the twenty beers that we recommend that can have a little bit of age, and here's the yeah, hundreds and hundreds. That, like, where do you thousands? Exactly, yeah. and, and I think too, um, without putting too fine a point on it, I'm sure if Four Pines was not owned by AB InBev, um, there would have been far less criticism. I think part of it is here's an opportunity to to, to have a crack at you know um, a, a brand that turned its back on me, and uh, you know I was loyal to them, and and they ditched me, and you know so you know Val, I'm going to send them a Valentine's card with you know dog poo in it. Um, I, I just I honestly think that's that's sort of part of the thing. Um, speaking of beers uh, or brewers that are, uh, are not independent, um, Malt Shovel Brewery, I guess, came out of this fairly well this week, guys, where, um, Matt, up your way, Malt Brewing uh, has rebranded as, and we discussed this last week, Revel or, or Rebel? Uh, Revel. Rebel. Yeah, Revel is in uh, we're reveling in great beer. Um, yeah, great yeah. little brewery. Visit, I paid them a visit last week and look, I have to say that the beers were, I was actually there with uh, Brett Stubbs. We were doing a visit of uh, some of the local breweries. Um, and great little brewery. Jay's and the, the, the guys behind it are lovely, uh, you know, really passionate beer people. And they were fired up about calling their brewery malt um once they'd opened or it may even been uh, touched before or around the time they opened they had received contact from um line through the, the the legal team and before everyone starts getting twitchy about that it was a really friendly really positive um contact just pointing out the the issues um and uh, the possible confusion and line ended up helping and i think they paid the all of the legal search fees um, around finding a, a new brand and doing all of the search fees. So I think they, you know, there was over 100 potentials that they uh, considered as changing the name to and Lion covered all of the costs for that you know, in, in, in a way of being amicable. And I thought that was a really positive experience and less so about the actual change. I actually thought that this highlighted that 
the market is starting to grow up a little bit now. It's a big thing to spend the money that you do on a brewery and then have to change your name. These are some things that we probably, as brewers in planning, need to start thinking our IP um, up front because once you've opened your brewery, your stainless steel isn't worth very much. Your value is in your brand and your IP and your trademarks and your recipes and whether somebody wants to buy those things. And if you don't own those things because you can't trademark them, you don't have a lot of value in your business. Yeah, and um, it, look, it's 100% fair for any brewer to to protect their um, to to protect their brand from you know something that may be confused with their brand because it it, it doesn't help either. I don't think to you know for malt, uh, it may put people off and go, oh, not independent. No, I'm not going to buy that. Thinking it was you know malt, you know confusion with 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 malt shovel. And I remember, and Zoe, this is probably pretty relevant to you, and probably a little bit before your time. But I remember when um, when one of the large one of the two larger breweries in this country brought out a beer that was whose whose logo was a um, a large hairy Tibetan bovid, um, and a lot of people said, "Oh, fat yak." Let's look at the look at the the logo. It's mountain goat. It's it's yeah. like it's the head of the yak and instead of its horns going straight up they go straight up and curve um and a lot of people you know said, and i don't know whether that was whether that was deliberate or because fat yak mountain goat there's there's no similarity there but you can still have some crossovers where people look at that and go oh i've seen that on a on a tap handle and think it was mountain goat yeah um at my time at goat we certainly had a few instances of that and it was certainly something we were very um aware of um there's Absolutely, some people at Goat that are still a bit bitter <laughs> about that as well. Um, but yeah, you you just have to be so careful with this. And as Matt was saying, like there's so much value in what your um, identity is as part of the brewing. It's not just the beers that are going out. It's yeah. that identity that you've created for yourself. And um, as we were talking about before, with you know the you know, 400 plus breweries that we've got in Australia and growing at such a significant rate you really have to be investing in what that identity is and that you can own it um, in, in a very, very cluttered marketplace that you can still stand on your own and stand out with who you are. Yeah, and, and again with the Mountain Goat example, you know, 20 years ago, um, Mountain Goat didn't, I'm not saying they didn't have to work hard, they, they certainly did, but certainly in terms of, of branding, there weren't 450 other, you know, like competitors um, in the market, there was Holgate, there was um, Grand Ridge, there was you know a handful of, of other sort of small breweries, um, and you only have to look, I guess, at the example of the the Gabs Hottest One Hundred to know how important brand um, and brand awareness is, and that certain something, that certain special something that you can't quite put your finger on, because at the end of the day, you look at those hundred beers that make the list, that make the top one hundred, there are. For every one of those beers, there are another twenty that taste very, very similar. That are as good a quality. That are you know use the same hops, use the same method, possibly even brewed on the same kit. But there's something about that particular brand or the story or the brewer or whatever it is that all combine to say, I'm going to actually take the time out of my busy day to vote for that. And boom, and 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 so many people do it that you know it it appears in the in the top ten or whatever. So we can't underestimate that that brand value. As I say that certain it's just it's the vibe. A little something something. That just That's it. <laughs> In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Sierra Nevada were out. Uh, Ken, Ken Grossman was was out as a um, for Good Beer Week year before last now, and, and we were lucky enough to uh, have him on one of our panels at the uh, the Cryer Malt Brewers Lounge uh, up at um, Brewers Hub at um, or Trade Hub, sorry, at uh, uh, Beer Deluxe at, at Fed Square, and he was sort of um, part of the you know the story was you know twenty odd 30, 30 years, and in every year they had. Um, managed to see 
uh, a percentage increase in sales. Um, the last two years, that has changed. Yeah, and, and this was actually something I, I asked Ken about back then because we were starting to hear rumblings that Sierra Nevada, and I'd actually heard back then 10%, um, their sales had declined 10%, and that was after they you know, built a second brewery, and we've seen a lot of Stones, another one that's uh, brewed multiple breweries. A lot of the early wave of brewers had expanded their production at a time when sales are actually under a lot of pressure, and they've got a lot of tiny little nano breweries who are nipping at their heels and taking taps off them. And there is this desire for ever, ever change. And when you get to a, uh, the, the size of a Sierra Nevada, it's hard to you know, be nimble um, and, and be small. And so it's a really interesting time for the brewing pioneers who don't seem to be able to generate the excitement that they once did. Um, you know, they, they're, they're, they're seen as being almost the grand old, uh, you know, matriarchs of the brewing world. Did you, did you just say matriarchs instead of patriarchs just because it's International Women's Day? Well, I, I, I was struggling to think of something. Token. Well, it was, it, I, and I'm happy well, to wear that. It was that. token, but if I'd said patriarch, I would have been criticised for it. So I'd rather exactly. be criticised for tokenism than uh, sexism. The doyen of the brewing world. Doyen, so that's that's a gender neutral okay. term. Okay, so the, they are the grand old granddaddy dame. or grand old granddaddy. No, seriously though, is they're it, grand is, and is, old is what I was trying yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is that it? Is, it? is it a bit tired and beige in comparison with all the um, the, the new shiny, uh, exciting things that are, that have popped up on the landscape around them, or is it similar to kind of Coopers, where you know, look, thank you for getting me started on my journey. Um, but, you know, I, I'm 18 now and I've left home and I, I need to go and forge my own way and, and find my own, uh, the beer that identifies, that I identify with. Is there a little bit of, of that or is it is it just that, um, you know, at some point uh, it, it's pretty hard to, to maintain um, growth, you know, forever? And it doesn't have to be growth, but that's the thing. They're not just not maintaining growth. They're actively losing at, you know, 8% a year. Um and Cooper's, two years out of thirty, though it's not. Oh no, 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 not at all. But you know, you, we, we can wait until it actually is a problem, um, or we can start talking about the problem now. Because I, I, I think that's one of the, the the big problems that we've got is that once upon a time there were a lot of Coopers. Coopers is almost a historic anomaly that they survived, um, and they only survived by the skin of their teeth. You know, three times in our, our living memory. Plus. Uh depression, two world wars, a handful of recessions and, and corrections. Yeah, but I didn't live um, through those problems. No, no, but I'm, but I'm saying that there's also that that came before it. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a, a 150 years of, um, of, yeah, struggling along. But people who say that, oh, yeah, Coopers is fine, Coopers will always be there, they, they won't. You know, they when you speak to Tim Cooper, twice in his stewardship of the company, they've, uh, they, they've struggled. His father actually warned him off from joining the company because they didn't think it was going to survive. So these things are tenuous. And you can't just say, well, Coopers has always been there. It always will be. And, well, you know, Coopers was great. I hosted a tasting this week and somebody uh, said that they didn't want to drink Pacific Ale. And I said, why? And they said, oh, look, I'm a bit of a beer snob. <laughs> are you serious? You know, this, this brewery is eight years old. You know, it is one of the breweries that has sparked it. And, and it is that mindset that is the greatest risk to what we have now because, you know, the, the, the reality is of the 7,000 breweries um, that are operating in the States and of the four 500 breweries that are operating in Australia at the moment, it is the stone and woods, it's the, um, you know, even the mountain goats, you, you maybe take them out of the equation just for this moment because uh, we're, we're looking at independence, but it is the bridge roads, it is the stone and woods, it is the um, bolters that are currently independent that are the ones that are likely to survive. The small, cool, funky ones, um, or the contract brands, they're the ones that are least likely to be here, but they're also the ones that are most likely to kill the big, viable um, businesses because the big, viable businesses aren't seen as cool, whereas the small, um, less viable ones are, and they can suck a lot of the oxygen out. So, you know, it, it's, it's almost... Samson taking down the, the, the temple. Apropos of that, I, I'll just point out that, because um, it's only just occurred to me 
you know, what's in a name, um, took the friends and family to a big bash game back in uh, January. And we were in uh, a cool uh, inner city, oh, actually city, a CBD um, pub for dinner and looking through the list. And I know it's, a, you know, it's tied to a particular brewery, but it, it does have one or two taps of um, independent and they also have a, a good bottle list. So I'm looking through and, okay, nothing really grabbed me on tap, but I looked down and I saw, oh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale in bottles. Uh, what would you like? Oh, look, I'll grab two Pacific Ales, please. And two schooners came and I thought, I'm pretty sure you don't have it on tap. Maybe they had it on tap down the bottom. Had a taste of it. No, this isn't Stone and Wood Pacific <laughs> Ale. I got Fat Yak Pacific Ale. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Pacific Yak. Yeah, yeah. And then they Which called it Stone and Wood. Beer, but, well, no, I didn't say I didn't say Stone and Wood. I just looked down the list and saw in the bottle list and pointed to, oh, I'll grab two Pacific Ales. Ah, that's interesting. Which is probably why they're arguing over their uh, trademark in, in, in other quarters so much at yeah, the moment. But uh, exactly. Zoe, what do you think of the whole big brewery, uh, you know, big independent craft brewery uh, decline? Yeah, I think there's... There's actually two sides to the Sierra Nevada one. Um, one, it's recognising where they're losing their growth. So they're losing the growth out of their pale ale, which um, is getting back to that the other side where it's the small independents are really kind of hitting them with maybe not so crazy beer, but just being newer, being um, fresher on the market in terms of um, presence, not in terms of quality, um, just being like the newer story. We are, and we're seeing that here in Australia too, like where being new is actually a really strong marketing tool um, against the brands where people are like, oh, I know you, I'm I'm still a big fan of yours, but there's all this new stuff for me to try. I think, you know, when it comes to Sierra Nevada in particular, like their pale ale is a cracking pale ale. Um, There's no denying the influence that that one single beer has had not just on the US market but even over here in Australia like that is truly an international beer um and you you know where is the marketplace going yeah is a beer like that like we're going through all the crazy stuff now and you know any IPAs are like the hottest thing right now and then it's west coast IPAs like things are changing so fast but there surely is a place in the in our world for just that consistent beer that you can trust no matter what, and it should be able to last through the ages. Like I, I would love to see Sierra Nevada pale ale on tap as much as I can in another twenty years' time because they're the beers that well, pale ale, especially here in Australia, is you know, the big, biggest style drunk. You want people to be able to rely on that consistency and rely on that style and like have your fun with the quirky stuff. There should be, you know, I don't think we should be giving up faith in that beer. True. And, and Prof, that, that's one of the reasons why I love the way that the AIBA has maintained the classic Australian pale ale and created a new category for it. So, you know, it recognises that there are evolving styles, but still gives recognition to something, to, you know, the, the, the Australian pale ale is one of two indigenous australian uh beer styles and the second one isn't even official and i would call that the you know pacific style ale which isn't actually a style <laughs> is it no is it a style no it's not going in the rabbit hole um just quickly before we move on to the mailbag any other uh bits of news I, I, i'd actually love to hear uh because we don't often get marketers <laughs> coming on Radio Brews News um, for some reason. Um, you, you scare us all away. No, that's <laughs> It's because he doesn't know the difference between advertising and marketing. So no, don't that's, start it. That's not my, my fascination with marketing is because G'day, Calf. It, it is incredibly important in, in the brewing industry and everyone loves to hate it, but you can never underestimate how important it is that, as Prof said, you, know, you can have 50 identical beers and something makes us pick up one of them. And that is marketing, and so it it, it it's it really is one of the most important things in in marketing. But then it's also, you know, marketing doesn't kill people. People with guns kill people. And <laughs> hey, I've I've got one for yeah. Well, well, we've got Zoe. Um, getting back to the the punk IPA versus pink IPA, the Johnny Walker versus Jane Walker, and then I notice also um, to celebrate International Women's Day that. Uh, Macca's uh, one one outlet, I think, it, it, in Los Angeles in the states, um, reversed or upturned their M logo to make it a W. Yeah. I, I just thought it looked like boobies. 
but maybe that was the my intention. point. My, my point is, <laughs> like, see, for Brewdog, I, I sort of thought, oh, there's a nice link there because punk IPA, pink IPA. It, it was like a, for me, it was a little bit more subtle than 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 token. For Johnny Walker, I thought, well, what what is the option? Is the is the not the op, you know the opposite of Johnny Walker, Jane Walker, or should they have just put Johnny Walker in a skirt? Do you know what I mean? Like, how, uh, uh, up, to what great. point? You know, from a, from your marketing um, expertise point of view, how important is you know that that logo to you, and and how does you know turning it upside down or or changing its colour um, kind of either you know reflect or damage the original brand? With the Johnny Walker example, like as as a woman, I would have loved to have seen a, instead of just calling it like a Jane Doe and changing it into a, him into a woman. Hero, a, a female that's contributed to the distilling world, or um, and don't do it around International Women's Day. Just do it because you can, and it can be a limited release of a different style. It could be the same um, liquid inside, but just with a, a limited release label. But I think that's where they just missed the mark on that one because they just changed Johnny into a Jane um, for the McDonald's. But if, but if, but if, if Johnny Walker is a, a made-up character to start with. Mm. Can't you then, or, or aren't you then entitled to make up a character that is in female form? Yeah, he's a made-up character, but I would say he's he's got his own marching stride on now. Like he's definitely a brand within his own right. So while there might not be a, a um, grassroots story about who he is, everyone identifies with that logo. Like everyone would be able to tell who what brand is represented by just seeing that. Um, walking man um, logo in, on its own so to just change in, into a Jane you're actually while he might not be something that came from something real he is something now um, and that's where I guess I kind of had the problem with it like if you're going to change it into a woman um, either make it its own product or make it a woman that people can identify with because that's where we're sitting at now like there are we want to hear those stories and we want those stories to be told um, so I think it's not that black and white where he isn't real so he can just easily flip over because he actually has a lot of marketing power in his own right now. Um, for the Maccas example, I, I actually thought that was brilliant. Like Maccas has, without a doubt, the strongest branding in the world. I've, you know, Maccas Coke, there's few up there that could really, like, regardless of who you are in the entire world, not know what that logo is so for them to just flip it over there really from what i understood wasn't a lot more to go with that there wasn't a shout out um i am not aware of them doing any um additional like that, that they weren't very vocal if they were about you know part sales going towards any causes or anything they just kind of just did it um so it's good it's great to see a brand that that strong kind of doing something really simple and kind of I thought there was, there was a little bit of humour in that. It could just get flipped over. Um, again, not to criticise their hard work, though, but these things happen once a day and, yeah, a brand like Mac is changing the, the um, M into a W is noteworthy. But the issues that we're facing happen every day, you know, whether across the board, not just pay inequality, but, you know, reproductive rights or, you know, there's, there's so many things that women want changed in the world just to become to what we see being an equal playing field. They kind of need to be a 365 day of the year thing, not just this one day of the year when there's a lot of focus and a lot of media around it and then it kind of just goes away until again at the same time next year. Well, perhaps then if Maccas, rather than, uh, I would argue, being tokenistic, if they want to be fair income about it, maybe they leave the M up the right way but um, increase its size fourfold. What? And make it just a big fat M. <laughs> You're not going to get any sense out of Prof on this one, uh, Zoe. Pete has a pathological <laughs> hatred of uh, McDonald's. It's not pathological hatred. It's just, it's just um, uh, ingrained <laughs> disrespect. <laughs> I think with all of these organisations, though, like you can do very simple things like this, but especially like for a brand like McDonald's, like their you know their reach is is enormous. Like imagine if they just started sharing the stories about how the actual difference they are actually making, and started setting a standard for other businesses to keep up. You know, they're the things that will change. Just doing little marketing clips and colour changes—that's not really making any big steps forwards. Like I want to. 
as a as a female, I want to be hearing stories. I want to be hearing what changes they are making. I want to be hearing the efforts that are being done to the problems that they have acknowledged themselves. Um, you know, it shouldn't be women in their business always asking for improvement. It should be everybody there just wanting to be on the same um, on the same level. Um, and so I think in terms of marketing, I think these brands that have got such international reach should just be doing more to be sharing like their stories, like get back to storytelling and just really share what the difference you are actually making rather than, um, I guess, the little, yeah, the little flips. I, I, I did think it was a little clever one. Like it's obviously a very simple one, but I th- still think there's a lot more that can be done and done quite easily too. Like I don't think that's um, a big ask just for them to kind of you know, do an do ad campaign that, you know, is sharing things. Like it's, it's pre- it'd be pretty easy for a brand like Macca's, I think. Yeah, and look, it certainly has got the conversation started. And uh, if nothing else, that's certainly what we're about here at, at Radio Brews News. And Matt, uh, in the mailbag, we have a letter from a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, Dan Summers from, um, uh, many people will know uh, in the Facebook world as uh, Frozen Summers. And he says, hey, Radio Brews News team, brackets, and whatever guest may or may not be on this episode, close brackets, that's you, Zoe. Long-time listener and long-time caller here. Haven't sent anything in for a while now because I've been pretty busy, but just like Hendo in the most recent episode, I now have a lot of time on my hands, so I thought I'd send in a few thoughts. Firstly, I really enjoyed the new split format. I know in the past I've put off listening to an episode because I wasn't in the mood for the news right then or vice versa. Now I can pick and choose when I listen to each bit. Secondly, I've also really enjoyed having some guest hosts on in the last few weeks. Not that I don't enjoy Matt, Prof and James, but it can be nice to have some fresh voices, especially if those voices aren't straight, white and male. I think he just assumed your uh, gender, sexuality and colour there, Matt. (laughs) Uh, Thirdly, I hope you have someone who identifies as a woman on to discuss pink IPA from your good friends at BrewDog. Keep up the good work from Dan Summers. Well, Dan, we did that just then for you. No, 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 no. We happen to have Zoe on who was able to talk about it. And who identifies as female, I'm assuming. I think this is a great conversation. It's a great male piece. Um, again, as M A L E or M A I L. Ah, good one. It's great uh, to get back to my earlier point about um, being very supportive within the industry. Um, the challenges I've always had have always been from outside the industry. So, um, again. It's not just a female battle, it's just everyone um, and it's really great to have um, supportive letters like that um, because I think that is a big part of the change is um, we know within the industry, within the craft category, there are obviously female brewers and people like myself that um, have other roles within the category. Um, it's about giving them a little bit more time in the light so people see them more and um, understand like it's not just the guys getting the good stuff done, there's a lot of a lot of women behind um, the beer that's in Australia right now too. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great letter. Two thumbs up. Thank you very much to, to Zoe for joining us. Thank you for the invite. I've loved it. And, and good luck. You've, you've moved on from Mountain Goat. Good luck in your next. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing and whether any of our listeners uh, can engage your services or you know, just what the next project is? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll be joining uh, Totem Marketing. We're a um, small boutique marketing agency. Um, myself and my business partner, Kerry, um, between the two of us, we've got 25 years of experience in wine and beer. Um, and that's where we're just looking to specialise, helping small producers in Australia um, with all their marketing needs. Um, I'm super excited to be getting back to the small producers and the passion and the accountability that goes with all that. So, yeah, you can find me um, on LinkedIn, uh, Zoe Ottaway. Um, I think I'm only one of about three. Um, I'm the one with the profile picture of um, actually brewing, <laughs> tipping in some hops into the hot back at Little Creatures Fremantle, um, or, or on Instagram. I'm just Ms. Zoe O. But yeah, always there for a chat, work related, not work related, um, pink IPA, otherwise, um, yeah, always there. Would love to um, have any discussions or conversations with anyone and hear both sides of the story. I'm always um, interested to make sure I'm not in my little bubble too much. Terrific. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, Zoe. And um, so certainly from my point of view, and I think Matt's, I speak for Matt as well, um, that that whole kind of, uh, I guess, the delving into the the marketing side of things, it's it's one thing I think that um, a lot of our listeners, particularly those who have uh, are in that camp of, you know, have breweries in planning or 
or have, have just sort of started off and kind of think, well, as long as I've got a good Facebook page and I, you know, keep post, you know, posting beer selfies or, you know, shower beer pics and whatever, um, that'll get our story out. Um, that there's actually sort of a little bit more to it. And it's, it's, um, you brought up an interesting point off here with Matt and I that, um, Brewers need to think of themselves as a business first. You know, once you start as a business, you, you've got to get that, uh, I guess, that that bedrock sorted first, and then you build a brewery on top of that. Um, yeah. And yeah. the one thing I could say the most is just know who your consumers are and speak to them. Don't. It's not necessarily what you want to say. It's it's about providing what they want to hear and what they want to see. Um, so if you're if you personally find um, shower beers the funniest thing on the planet and you're going to flood your socials with that, that's fine. But maybe understand that the market you're wanting to sell to, that's not where they're sitting. So it's, it's that's where yeah. I know as, as marketers we get a bit of a bad rap, but um, yeah, we, we're all, we're marketed constantly throughout the day. I think. Um, the average is something like 7,000 brands a day. You just don't realise. You can probably recall, I think, something like 20 of them. Um, and I'm sure if anyone sitting in your room right now, if you stop and look, you probably are looking at probably about 50 brands around you right now. Um, so it's not something that should be underestimated. And it is really vital to take the time and know what your identity is, especially in craft beer today more than ever. Yeah, 100%. Well, thanks very much again, Zoe, for joining us and all the best with Totem Marketing. Thank you. And, Matt, before we go, uh, I'd like to get, just give a quick shout-out to uh, a good friend who's been in the news a little bit uh, recently, Dr Ian Davis, who is um, struggling with the beast that is uh, MND, motor neuron disease, and uh, taking a bit of a turn this week with uh, with pneumonia. Um, and is um, off the critical list, but he's still, uh, you know, struggling away in, in hospital. And um, put a bit of a shout out to help out his family. And a lot of the people in the in the beer uh, industry have uh, jumped on board and, and, and shared the story. Um, and I'll give it just a quick uh, unsolicited shout out to, um, I think it was John Ellison, um, who stumped up, uh, said, no, don't worry about uh, when that time comes, uh, the, the funeral is all sorted. But it, um, we might, if we can, put a link to uh, Ian's, um, I don't know if it's a GoFundMe or one of those one of those pages. And if anyone can help out um, with a little bit of financial support, he's done um, a magnificent job, been a really good supporter, has been to Gab's the last couple of years with the, um, the Yenda um, wheel of beer uh, to be there to sort of, you know, accept the, the giant novelty check um on behalf of the um fight mnd and uh so a big shout out to him from all of us here at radio brews news and um uh, a shout out to our listeners to uh to get on board and help him too easy uh thanks again listeners for joining us on this episode of radio brews news we've got uh now hopefully you enjoyed beer as a conversation with greg cook you know what would be really good matt i was just thinking what would be really funny is if we could get Greg Cook from 2010 and Greg Cook to, from 2018 in the same room and you could interview them. And and uh, uh, I think that would be an, an interesting listen. Uh, couples counselling, see if we can find some common ground between them. <laughs> um, do you reckon we could do that? I, I'll, I'm sure that I'll put my people in touch with theirs and see what we can do. And uh, stay with us, folks, and we'll see what we can do through the miracle of uh, modern uh, telecommunications. And editing. Watch this space. Greg Cook, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you, sir. Nice to be talking with you. And nice to be talking to you. And also, Greg Cook, welcome to Radio Brews News. How are you? Um, well, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, now, because we've got two Greg Cooks, it could be a little bit confusing. So I'm just going to call you 2010 and 2018, if that's okay, just to avoid confusion. Perfect. Okay, great. Now, look... I wanted to chat. There's been a bit of disagreement between you both this week, so I thought we could sit down and have a bit of a chat and see if we can find some common ground. So I guess the best place to start is um, 2010. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, how you see Stone Brewing and uh, what it means to you? Well, uh, at Stone, we're known for being one of the progenitors of the uh, West Coast style of beer, and what that means is... Uh, predominantly hoppy, big, citrusy, just a very aggressive, fresh, aromatic, hoppy character and uh, a distinct and definite bitterness. And, uh, well, you know, we're unabashed to hopheads and, and we felt it was, you know, our, our basic uh, philosophy from the beginning is 
there are plenty of breweries making beer for the masses. So we want to make beers that uh, we have more personal respect for. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward. Now, um, 2018, what does uh, Stone mean to you? Where did you come from? My partner Steve Wagner and I started the company 22 years ago. At Stone, we've always prided ourselves of going our own way, being who we are and true to ourselves. We've developed into a unique entity that I am enormously proud of. And I feel so privileged to be a part of the larger craft brewing industry. Okay, um, that music was probably a little bit dramatic, but it sounds like you're on the same page. It sounds like you both still feel Stone is the same business and coming from the same place. So I guess the question then, um, 18, is, you know, is it possible to send beer halfway around the world and get it to the customer fresh? And if you can, how would you do it? Oh, yeah. That's a super simple and direct question and answer. We have a um, highly uh, oiled, well-tuned pathway uh, and, you know, is all focused on getting beer to retailers within a, a very truncated amount of time that actually is well within our stated limits. And, and sorry, and, 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 and also be a system that is reefer the entire way, you know, refrigerated, yeah. Okay, um, Greg Cook 2010, um, what, what do you think? Can you send beer refrigerated halfway around the world and get it onto shelves into consumers' hands within the time that you think is uh, reasonable? It's, dare I say, a, a bit naive. Uh, here's the situation. Australia is very far away. We know that. Uh, Australia um, is across the equator. So what we'd have to do is we'd have to um, temperature control our beer. And by the way, we're our own wholesaler in Southern California, and we have a 100% refrigerated fleet. So we'll have to refrigerate our beer, sending it down to Australia. It's a long ways away, so it's going to be as expensive as hell. Greg Cook, 2018... Is that a problem? Uh, is it a distance issue? It's not a. It's not a. It's a, it. You know, in its purest, most technical basis, it's not a distance issue, because distance can be solved reasonably well with a uh, shipping container. We're on the coast. You know, goes over to the Australian coast. It's you know doesn't get hung up on at the docks and the ports on either side for more than a day or so. Uh, generally speaking, and it's refrigerated. So it adds, um, I don't have off the top of my head what the shipping time is, but it's under a couple weeks. So, you know, beer can easily arrive across that, that gap um, efficiently. And so then, then it's about the, the, the quality of the system that exists. And there are... Hold on, I think Greg 2010's got something to say. It's then going to go into the Australian distribution system which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that uh, refrigeration is in the distribution system is very common. No, no, it's not. So it's not. So already the standards that we've set for ourselves within a close range to our own home uh, can't even be um, you know, be put into effect in, in Australia. And then there are uh, failure points in San Diego. We self-distribute in San Diego. Like I said, we can find failure points. You, you identify them and you fix them. Again, it's not tenable. Too long to get there, too expensive. And because it's so expensive, very slow movement in the marketplace. Very slow movement in the marketplace, old beer. You end up paying too much for it. You get a poor experience. You don't want to buy it again. That's not going to work. Greg Cook, 2018. Look, I actually have to side with... Greg Cook 2010 on this one. I've been out to a lot of bottle shops. I found a lot of beer sitting on shelves, well over six months old, uh, warm shelves. Uh, when I've bought it, it's gushed. Doesn't that concern you? Well, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad you, you pointed that out to me. And it's certainly uh, worth being delved into on our side to, you know, try and, and find this out. It's, it's always a cooperation with the retailers. And if a retailer is going to, um, you know, buy too much stock because that's, I mean, because 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's problematic and, and needs to get addressed. I, I don't have any, I'm not going to justify that at all. Um, and that's not good. Craig Cook, 2010, what do you think? I will say, you know, direct to you, everybody in Australia, if you are a retailer who is knowingly selling damaged beer, uh, beer in a way that the brewer would not approve of, you're hurting the industry. And you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your customer base. Uh, Greg, 2010, that's a little bit over the top, don't you think? What happens when uh, beer isn't treated properly by retailers? A consumer, whether they're experienced or not so experienced, has it. And they are not turned on to the category. They're turned away from the category. So it damages, and we experienced, it damages the industry. And we experienced this a lot in the uh, middle 90s here in the United States. The bubble burst in 1996. And so it was like the brakes just got slammed on. And the reason why is because there were so many small brewers, retailers, wholesalers were just throwing shit against the wall. And the consumer became disengaged. They said, I don't want to spend this much money anymore to take a chance on something that doesn't taste very good. So what would you do if you saw me about to drink one of these beers? If I was there and I saw you about to take a sip of the beer and I knew how it was tasting, I would take it out of your hand and I'd pour it on the ground. Wow. Um, Greg, 2018, how about you? Well, I don't think I would have had such a, <laughs> a physical reaction. But Sorry, I got to interrupt on that. And I'll repeat again. I would pour down the drain instead of drinking. Okay, I don't want to turn this into a fight. So maybe we'll finish here. Um, I don't think we're going to find too much agreement. Um I guess, Greg, 2018, what would you like to say? Um, what's the way forward? You know, it's a three-dimensional world that we live in, meaning specifically with the, with the beer. You know, you have the, the beer and the flavor profiles itself, what's available locally, what your reputation is, what the, you know, the, the shipping and, and the, the costs involved and, and our standards with the refrigeration and the, the end uh, up on the shelf price and then a particular retailer and their characteristics and do they store, how do they store it? What's their pricing policy? Uh, what's their, you know, what's, how do they store it after it? How much do they look at it? Is it enough? Is it, could it use some improvement? You know, and all of these things go into this very complex model that really is just, you know, sort of everyday beer business that we live in. And, and you just, it requires having your, your wrenches out every day, tweaking and you know, adjusting the gears, trying to get them to work properly. Thanks. Thanks for your thoughts, uh, Greg Cook 2018. Greg Cook 2010, uh, anything that you would like to uh, leave us with? What I say to Australian beer fans, retailers and brewers is, hey, you can, you can do it there. Support the brewers who are brewing interesting things in Australia, the, the young brewers, the new brewers, the small guys, that let them know, give them the feedback. Look, I'll uh, be sure to do that. Now, I don't know that we found too much uh, common ground here, but look, beer is a conversation, and I'd like to thank you both for, uh, for being part of that. Uh, 2018, thank you very much for joining yeah. us. Well, thanks for the conversation. Greg Cook, 2010, always a pleasure. Terrific. Thanks for uh, engaging me in this conversation and bringing it up. I think it's very important. I've been extraordinarily frustrated by the lack of response. I either get no response or uh, saying, no, we're just not going to respect what you're doing. Hopefully, this will help uh, people understand a little bit more about the, uh, the decisions that are, that are here. And we'll see you all next week uh, for more Radio Brews News. And we're out.